0: Hey, everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks and enjoy the episode.
1: They may want some occasional updates, but there are other needs that we can do and be very versatile in using that platform to message different audiences going through very different life experiences.
0: Back before the internet, daily newspapers couldn't compete with TV or radio in delivering information quickly during an emergency. But digital technology has changed that, and print newsrooms are competing with their broadcast colleagues in delivering essential information instantaneously to their subscribers. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Localities using SMS, which stands for short message service, to text out information during an emergency, has become standard practice, but more and more newsrooms are using SMS as a way to share breaking news and information during those same emergencies. Jennifer Hefty is a social and emerging platform strategist with Gannett and Kara Childs is Gannett's senior vice president of consumer products. They're here to talk about how Gannett used SMS to reach their audience during Hurricane Ian. Jennifer and Kara, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Hello, great to see you and talk to you today. Thank you.
2: And thank you. Thanks for having us on. We're excited to talk about texting a little bit more.
0: I am too. I mean, I haven't had an opportunity. I guess I, you always have the opportunity to do something if you just choose to do it. But it's like nobody's barring me from doing it. But I've always found texting and SMS sort of be a, a fascinating aspect of it, especially when you consider how you know how much people use texting, email, and uh, social media to communicate. It just seems like something that should be really natural and, and part of what we do. But first, before we get into that, let's find out about each of you. Kara, you know what was your career path? How'd you end up at Gannett?
1: Well, my interest in journalism can be dated as far back as sitting next to my mom, reading the Akron Beacon Journal and doing the puzzles with her. That led me to a degree from Ohio University's E.W. Scripps School of Journalism and starting out as a lifestyle reporter for the Wilmington Star News in North Carolina. The through line though, is that I've always played with words. Over time, I became fascinated by the ways we can engage audiences on digital and also how we could build things and solve problems. My role at Gannett today is the best of both of those worlds. I lead the teams that partner with Jennifer and others in our newsrooms to create new and useful ways to bring news, information, and resources to consumers. So it is it is like I get paid to solve puzzles for a living now.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. It's full circle, I guess. This was your exactly. destiny, I guess. Jennifer, how about you? What got you interested in journalism and what led to your current role in like, it?
2: We joke a lot, as I'm sure you've heard about how journalism is a calling, and as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be involved in news. That's never wavered, which led me to a degree in journalism from the University of Colorado, and I've been lucky enough to have many jobs in this industry over the years. I kind of joke that I've done everything in the newsroom pretty much, from reporter to producer to breaking news editor to managing editor, before I moved to the strategy side, now with social strategy, which is really kind of what I love to do. You know, I love to think about how we engage with our audiences, how we build relationships with readers. And I really think we're at this kind of critical juncture of news when it comes to distribution on social media and emerging platforms like texting because we really have to adapt, you know, I hate to say adapt or die, but we have to adapt. Otherwise, you know, we risk losing a whole generation of news consumers. And, and at the end of the day, why we get into this job is to help our communities, to serve our communities, to help our neighbors, um, make sure this is a good place to live and to serve democracy. And, and we need to make sure that we are continuing to be relevant in people's lives. And I think this role really lets me explore that in a really interesting way.
0: SMS, I mean, certainly during emergency situations, people are are relying on texts, emergency texts to give them guidance and, you know, provide them with information. So fitting a a newsroom or, you know, the newsroom mission in that space, you know, seems very natural, especially if you're providing information that's going to help them in that that instance. So tell me about Gannett's current strategy as far as SMS goes.
2: Yeah, from the news, I can speak to the newsroom side. I work with all of our local newsrooms, um, which is about 200 across the company. And so this is really ongoing. We're experimenting with a lot of different topics, reaching different audiences, whether or not some services are available to just our current subscribers or are more of a public service like they are in these emergency situations. So we're just experimenting in all kinds of areas we have a lot going on some of our most engaged groups are sports both college and pro but we're experimenting also with music and entertainment in nashville in particular politics some kind of newsletter type digests and also we're starting one of our first bilingual um, public service efforts out of phoenix this next month but Kara can speak a little bit more to the product side and strategy there too
1: yes absolutely we equally see it as an emerging and exploratory area. And we are investing in it more over time as we play in some of those spaces. So as an example of that, we are looking at what voices, be it our our reporters or our editors or columnists, formats and in terms of shorter bursts or longer ones to the newsletter digest that Jennifer alluded to, and content that's most engaging to various audiences. Sports was an early winner for this medium, which isn't too surprising. It lends itself to what we think of as some of the key criteria we see for SMS, immediacy, conversation, and a lively exchange and that ability to potentially have that that dialogue with the reporter and and the consumer.
0: I know that my experience with other things like social media, newsletters, breaking news, alerts, and things like that, that... If you don't use it correctly, you know, the the audience is pretty quick, either by not subscribing or letting you know, <laughs> sending you an email or commenting on something to say, I don't want to get all this information and everything. I would imagine SMS has got its own, I'm not sure how to put it, lim- limitations or practical uses. Maybe that's the best way to put it. If you exceed what people sort of want to get from texting, I would imagine that would sort of work against you. So you know, in coming up with your strategy, I know that uh, Jennifer, you said that you're doing different types of testings and things. How did you identify that this is the best way to use text? They work well in this situation, but maybe not this one.
2: Yeah. Like Kara said, we're kind of still experimenting and getting in the information gathering phase with a lot of different topics. But the thing I like to think about and encourage our newsrooms to think about is texting is one of the most intimate spaces we have, right? Like how many times do you want to hand your phone over to a stranger, right? Your inbox is yours and it's personal. And if we're going to be in that space, people really need to feel like they're texting with a friend. It can't be a push alert service, right? There's different avenues for that. It can't be a Facebook bot. It can't be a Facebook group. We are in their inbox with their friends and their family. And so it really is this opportunity to build trust. So when we talk about the language use, the tone of the messages, you know, making sure that people sign off on the messages so they know exactly who they're talking to and people can feel like they're forming a relationship answering people as they're responding. And we really are having that two-way communication there. And the other thing we found through surveys, I'm a huge proponent of surveys and just asking our audience what they like and what they don't like. I think that's a very simple way to collect data. What we've heard is that they like kind of short, concise to the point. They don't like to be overwhelmed, but they really appreciate it when we say, this is how often you'll hear from us. So sometimes when we have people sign up like sports referrals, they'll say, you know, you might get three texts from me a week, but feel free to send me questions. Or in the storm, we said, you know, at first we're going to send you three text messages a day and we'll add more if there's major breaking news and we'll answer your questions. And so they just liked us to be able to set that expectation of what they were signing up for.
0: Okay. And we talk about text. I mean, what is it that you're sending to people? Let's go back to the the sports one because, I, you know, and I'm glad that you brought that up, Kara, because I tell you, every time that there's some sort of new innovation, it always seems that the sports department is the one that, that is sort of in the front and driving a lot of, you know, the innovation because they understand the needs of an engaged audience and they have an audience that wants to get information quickly. So I'd imagine... This is a space. It's not surprising that this is a space that they would be involved in. I mean, if you send out like a newsletter, you have a daily newsletter. If you send out, you know, alerts, it's when something is breaking. You know, sometimes on social media, people will have, you know, ask me anything. What type of content? Let's just talk in sports space at this point. Are you using SMS for?
2: For sports, it really, are um, most successful campaigns are really people who, like I said, are having that really conversational tone. So they are sending out their columns, like their post-game columns, but some of them will start off game coverage with saying, here's a look at my meal from the press box and take a picture of it and send it out to everybody. Some that I got today from Iowa is the reporter kind of recapping what he learned at the press conference and what are what are players and coaches saying and what can you expect and You know, we have um, one columnist in Indy, Greg Doyle, who's fantastic at this. And he talked about his anniversary of starting this tech service. And he sent a picture of his dogs and how, like, what this group has meant to him. And he gets such amazing replies from people. And so really for sports, in that example, it's not really about push alerts. They will send content sometimes. It's not about score updates. There's Twitter. People are watching the game. They don't need that on their phone. They want that behind the scenes insider access that sometimes only our reporters are able to get.
1: If I can build on that point, I think one of the reasons, for example, that when we launched the USA Today Sports Plus experience, We absolutely knew we wanted to include SMS as part of that, is creating a space for audiences to interact with the editors and reporters for love of the game. And really, that is why I think sports is so successful in so many different categories, but why it lends itself particularly well, because it does have that immediacy. It's not just, as Jennifer mentions, it's not just the breaking news or who won, It's the, did you see that play? It's the bragging rights and the competitive spirit of it are really a really good fit. When you think about the product content experience of just an enjoyable way to get content that feels a little more personal and a little bit more like, if I'm not there, this is the next best thing.
0: It's funny. A lot of what you're talking about seems like the early days of social media. You know, you're trying to get that reporter to adopt a new platform, think about their content in a different way, think about the relationship with their readers in a different way. Do you have any formal training? Do you have any guidance? Do you say, look, this person's doing this? Maybe, that's, maybe you can figure out a way to do that with your beat.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's something that we're in the process of developing playbooks for different types of services, different topics as we kind of explore, especially for breaking news and public safety. That kind of is its own beast. We're also working to get together people in our network. We're very lucky to be part of a large network um, where people can bounce ideas off of each other. So get together all the hosts of these conversations so they can bounce ideas off of each other. And the other thing I recommend for folks is if you see something that somebody else is doing, like a good entertainment text service or politics, sign up for it. Let's see what other people are doing too and kind of bounce ideas and garner ideas that way and see what else is happening in the industry.
0: So the service that you're using is is subtext. Is that, that correct? Yes. Tell me about that. What has been your experience using that? What has been the newsroom's experience about with using subtext?
2: From the journalist perspective, subtext is very easy to use. It's a really easy to use interface that has a very quick learning curve. People can usually pick it up really instantly. And that offers the ability to send out text to mass to a mass group of people or respond individually in private one-on-one conversations and it also allows us to do things like segment our audience so if some people are interested in you know, soccer, then they could opt in for that kind of text message or football and they could only get that. We've also used some of that for bilingual a little bit. If they want English messages or Spanish messages, we've experimented with that some too, but it also allows um, multiple people to be in the system at once, which especially in a situation like Hurricane Ian is super useful because, you know, there can be three of us and they're going through the dozens of messages that we're getting and trying to respond to different people at one time, which really helps on the workflow side of things.
0: Tell me about Hurricane Ian. What was the newsroom's experience with that?
2: So one of the first times I think we used SMS in uh, a natural disaster situation was last year in Texas during the freeze. The Austin American statesman used it. And I still vividly remember being in a news planning meeting. And one of the editors there said, hang on a second, I'm texting my friend the updates because she doesn't have power or internet. And I'm trying to get her the news that we know about. And it was kind of in that moment we were like, well, we have to figure this out because nobody's getting our content. And it's this public safety information and people are frustrated with the government. They feel like they're not getting enough information. All the public services are overloaded. And so, you know, even in amidst the chaos that is breaking news, everybody's exhausted, right? We found a way to kind of take turns and be able to send out these text message updates to people who didn't have power, they didn't have Wi-Fi, they were on low bandwidth. You know, we talked a lot about, do we start a Facebook group or some other kind of social media? And we realized, you know, if they have to be consistently searching for service, they're draining their battery and that battery life is precious right now. And so that was kind of our first experiment with it. And so then as Hurricane Ian was um, approaching landfall, we approached the newsrooms with kind of the same type of playbook. Let's get a couple of people involved. Again, we're fortunate to be part of a network where people from across the country can help pitch in. So it's not just folks in Florida who might be losing power themselves, but other people can help answer questions. And so we started out by saying, we'll send you three news updates a day, which is like the key points of what you need to know right now, morning, noon, and night and we'll answer as many questions as we possibly can. We would feed those questions to reporters for FAQ stories. If a lot of people had the same question about, is this bridge out? We would send out another update. Hey, several of you asked about this. This is what we know or what we don't know. We were very honest if we didn't have an answer for them. And so that's kind of how we approached it. And then as the storm subsided and passed through and we moved to recovery, we changed the cadence of the messages a bit. But we really tried to keep everything as contained in the message as possible. We would include links, but fully understanding some people might not be able to access those links depending on where they were. So especially during the thick of the storm, we were trying to just provide as much information as concisely as possible to folks and then answer those one-on-one questions.
0: The links that you were sharing, were they ones to stories, to FAQs, to public safety facilities, things like that?
2: Yeah. All of the above, but they had live blogs going live coverage. And so we'd send folks that because they would have the latest updates, but also people who were just worried about relatives, you know, we would connect them with the sheriff's department um, number or the resources that they said, here's how, what you need to do for us to go have, do a welfare check on your loved one, or here's an application for you to get FEMA assistance. We would send out those type of links as well.
1: I think to build on Jennifer's point the other piece with these having run through a few hurricanes myself in wilmington you are very much waiting for the storm to pass over and to find out what services are going to be made available or come back online in your community so i think one of the key things that the team did and partly why subtext has turned out to be such a both a flexible and and useful platform for us across the network Is as she mentioned, multiple reporters don't have to be in the market to be able to help contribute with updating resources. And further, we we do get direct feedback, and I can share more of a quote from one of the users we had was these updates have been my sanity and lifeline. I appreciate these so much. Thank you for the long hours and pavement pounding you do to deliver the news via text. And that is why. People write out storms in newsrooms. They want to be that resource for their community. And one of the things now that we see is that the text allows us to both serve those peoples in in those communities, but also it allows us to then pivot to other communities where they may not be living and breathing that storm. They may want some occasional updates, but there are other needs that we can do and be very versatile in using that platform to message different audiences going through very different life experiences.
0: The other thing I'm thinking about, I know that if if you sign up for SMS alerts locally, you're going to hear from the place where you live, location. I mean, obviously, the people who are being affected by the storm, you want to get that information. And I think you even kind of talked about the fact that, you know, family members from out of state. I mean, how much does locality figure into sort of successful texting, I guess? Did you see a lot of people from outside the area sign up for it and try to get alerts?
2: Yeah, I'd say um, according to the survey we did for Hurricane Ian, the majority of people said they live full or part time in the Fort Myers, Naples and Sarasota area. Outside of that, the next biggest group, they were in Florida. But there were people from out of state who were checking in on loved ones. But the vast majority were folks that were local to the area And we talked about it a lot, especially with this storm. Do we need separate services for Naples, for Fort Myers, for Sarasota? And honestly, that came down to our bandwidth and resources and what we were able to provide, and also the unpredictability of the storm, not knowing exactly what was going to happen, when, who was going to be hit, as it could make a turn, what the recovery was going to look like. And so we decided to loop it all in one way. We didn't receive any negative feedback about that. We have 18 newsrooms in Florida, and the three that were involved in this particular service were Sarasota, Naples, and Fort Myers.
0: Okay, as we, we've sort of said, it's pretty easy to see how this is useful during a crisis situation. Have you thought about how you're gonna incorporate it in other types of, you know, I'm sitting here, we're, we're a week away from the midterm elections. Do you have an SMS strategy for that?
2: We do have a few. We have a hyper-local one in Nashville which the journalists in that newsroom would tell you it's going to be more interesting about what happens post-election than the election itself and what happens at the start of the legislature. So we are, you know, using the election to help try to build our audience in that. So when the ledge starts in Tennessee, we have folks engaged in that group. And then USA Today also has a your vote text message service going on right now as well um, tied to the midterms.
0: So, you know, what would you say to other newsrooms that might be thinking about using SMS to enhance the, their coverage of events and, and just covering their community and engaging their, their audience? What would, advice would you give them? What would you say that, well, this seems to work and this maybe doesn't seem to work?
2: Yeah, the biggest advice I have from any newsroom is to plan early. As much as we can, especially for these natural disaster situations, sometimes we have a heads up that it's coming. Make it part of your breaking news plan and put it in your toolkit. For other topics, again, plan early, get a good plan together, get a good, good good promotion plan. And also for anything, get a small team together. I mean, this could be like three people, right? And help share the load because especially in those chaos of breaking news situations, then nobody's getting burnt out, right? One person can take two hours on Monday morning and then somebody could take two hours Monday evening and you can share it And that really has been the most successful thing because I know this can sometimes feel like, oh, it's one more thing we have to do on top of all the other things we have to do. This direct line with our audience is something we don't get. You know, I've had editors who are exhausted from breaking news coverage, honestly, tell me with tears in their eyes, you know, I'm not used to people thanking me for the work that I do. And this is amazing. You know, it was one more thing, but it was ended up being the one thing that really fueled everybody when they were running on empty. So, and beyond breaking news, the relationships you form with your audience are just invaluable and are inspiring.
1: Yeah, I think, the part about beyond breaking news, like when there's a news event, yes, that'll be a moment in time and you might be able to do a short burst of a program. I think if you are looking to figure out whether you should integrate SMS into your strategy, figure out a little bit of what the end in mind would look like because it, you need time to build that rapport with an audience. You need to find the right folks who are able to spend some portion of their time building up that relationship through that channel. It's the thing where I would be mindful of rather than adding it to one more thing on someone's plate for an indefinite period of time, figuring out how long and what success is going to look like along the way so that you can identify someone who's maybe a great text writer who it's a different muscle than than writing a, a breaking news piece. And thinking about how you're going to make it run for a longer period so that you're not just stopping and starting with your audience either. You want to make sure that you're giving them something that will at least have some expectations for them as
0: well. Yeah, some value as well, I guess. I guess it's sort of an enhancement of what you're saying, the the idea that... You you don't just do it to do it. Do it you know with a reason. Set some goals, and then I would imagine also measure those goals. What did you do after Hurricane Ian? Did you review what worked well and and adjust?
2: Yeah, that's currently what we're in the process of doing right now. In Austin, we did the same thing. We Send out a survey. That's what we do as we wrap up all programs. And sometimes we'll do it in the middle of a program too, to ask people. We like to know who they are, who are we texting with? What audience are we reaching? That helps us form strategies about promotion and who we can reach in the future. And then we ask them just very blatantly, do, what did they like? What did they not like? Are they subscribers? Does this make them want to subscribe and support our work? And then we kind of, you know, get together and do some postmortems about what's next. For our ongoing campaigns. You know, we're setting up some schedules to check in on, are we growing our audience? Is it the size that we want it to be? What are the text messages like? Have those kind of real editor type conversations about these text messages. Do we need to do some promotion around a big game and doing some regular check-ins to kind of see where we're at, see how everybody's feeling about it and kind of plot out the next
0: steps? I think it'd be remiss if I I didn't ask this, Kara, as the Senior Vice President of Consumer Products, I mean... I know that when, when we're talking about email marketing, we're talking about newsletters, there's a strategy that goes in there that's also a business strategy. Is there a business strategy to SMS?
1: I would say what we see right now is this is a, another avenue that our audiences are telling us by which they want to receive news. I think to what we've been discussing, we are all getting the message, if you will, that users are overloaded, that countless things are demanding their attention every single day. Can we provide a service? Can we provide a moment of levity for them in a burst that they can receive on their phone that they choose? If that actually helps create that relationship with them, that builds loyalty with them, that is the business value.
0: <laughs> to be cold and, yeah. and capitalistic. You establish these relationships so that later on, when there is the uh, breaking news situation or whether something else is going on where they're really going to need you and depend on you, that they would go to you and you would be in that place. You've already established that relationship. Kara, Jennifer, this has been a great conversation. I learned quite a lot about SMS. I wish you continued luck with this. And, you know, I encourage people to, uh, you know, check out what you guys have been up to. I think it's really fascinating.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud